for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Are you ready for the word of God this morning? All right. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. In, uh, uh, again, you, you heard a phenomenal uh, message from Ben last week and the week before that, Nate Ortiz was with us. Uh, before that, we've been going through a series focused on the work, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the, the person, power, and presence of the Holy Spirit. And today, I'd like to talk to you about the work of salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Now, before we dive into that, I'd like to recap some things that we said about the Holy Spirit. We've been taught to pray in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we learned throughout this series that we've gone through that the Holy Spirit, number one, is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force or just a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And if it's a person, then the Holy Spirit needs to be treated as a person and not a force. So when we come to church and we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not asking for a force. We're asking for God in person to fill our lives. We also said that the Holy Spirit has a specific role in our lives. And that role is the role of counselor, comforter, and helper. Jesus said, it is better for you that I leave so that I may send the counselor. When he comes, he will lead you into all truth. I cannot tell you everything because you cannot bear everything. But when he comes, he will lead you into the truth. What an important person the Holy Spirit is that Jesus says, right now, guys, you can't handle it. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you and guide you. So we got to say yes to the person of the Holy Spirit. We affirm that we need to say yes to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And we also said that the Holy Spirit, when the promise of the Holy Spirit was received by the believers in Acts, that the Holy Spirit baptized people, and that means filled people, immersed people. And when that happened, it was an experience that was felt. They said the Spirit rested on them. It was an experience that was heard, said that they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind. In other words, this sound was so great, I don't even know how to describe it. The only way I could describe it is like a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't compare, but I... It's like a mighty rushing wind, right? And they said that they also saw it. They saw like tongues of fire, right? So they saw, they felt, they heard it was a very tangible thing. When the, gift, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the lives of the believers, they had power to share the good news. It made way for the gospel to be preached. And also, as, we, as the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers, not only did they have the power to preach the gospel, but everybody who heard the gospel felt a deep conviction, a cut-to-the-heart conviction. In other words, the truth of God's word um, made sense to them in their hearts, and they received it. And so we, we've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we've talked about what happened when the promise of the Holy Spirit was received by the church. And we want to continue to dive into that. What did it look like when the Holy Spirit began to move in the midst of the church in Acts? And what does it look like in our lives today? And today, as we continue to look at those specific verses, I want, I want us to focus on the work of salvation that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is working salvation for you? Absolutely. And this is how it works. You are drawn to the Father by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit that reveals to you that Jesus is who he says he is. 
It is the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. And I love what J.I. Packer said about the Trinity. He said, all of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all working your salvation, salvation out, and this is how it works. It says the Father purposed it. In other words, the Father planned it. He purposed it, right? He wanted it to be. The Son, Jesus Christ, secured it. So our Father God planned it. Jesus Christ on the cross secured it so that if we put our faith in him, we could be saved. And then because Jesus Christ secured it, the Holy Spirit can come and say, okay, now this, now this salvation that the Father has planned and this salvation that Jesus Christ has secured, I will apply into your life. Ain't that good news? That's really good news. So the Holy Spirit is at work in your salvation. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know that you know that you know for sure that you are saved today? I, I, want, you to, I want you to really consider that question today. People wrestle with that. They wrestle with, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm ready for eternity? And I want you to know today that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus today, you can have a full assurance that you will not only have life with him in the hereafter, but you will have life with him right now. Do you know, can I ask you this question? Do you know where you will be if today, if today was your last day? The Bible clearly says that life is but a breath. Life is but a breath. And it is very important that if this life is but a breath and the hereafter is eternal, it's very important that we know what happens for eternity. I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you're saved? How do we know? How do we know that we're saved? You know, I believe that there are a lot of people who struggle with this, even people who have already said that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and there are several people, I think, ser several kinds of groups in the church that struggle with this question. And number one, one thing that I hear people say is, well, Pastor, I don't really want to talk about eternity because it's kind of freaky. <laughs> I mean, I love me some Jesus, and I love the church folk, and I love to come to church, but can we not talk about eternity? Because I started thinking about that, and it's kind of spooky. Some people have even said, I don't even read Revelation. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Keep me in the psalm. Glory to God. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, Revelation, that's for somebody else. No, right? Because there is this fear about eternity, but I want you to know this truth. Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid about eternity. He wants you to have joy about eternity. There's also, uh, there are also some of us who, um, who are here today who really struggle with, with the idea of thinking of, of salvation because we think that, um, how can I say this? We think that salvation is something that we received because somebody in authority let us in some prayer. So we think salvation is, well, you know, I went to the altar one day and that pastor said, repeat after me. And I repeated everything that he told me to say, so I'm good, right? There's nothing else to do, right? Or, hey, I read this book and this book said, you know, just do these four things and I did it. So now I'm good. I can do whatever I want, right? I'm ready for heaven. It's not the way it works. Your salvation is not dependent on anyone other than Jesus Christ. And God wants you to have a direct line, a relationship with him. He wants you to be secure in that relationship with him because he loves you. He is your mediator and your father. And then there are some of us 
as well. Not only those who are afraid of thinking about it and those who are depending on just religious authority, but there's also a group of people who think that the only way we can be saved is if we get all our thoughts about the Bible and about God just right. They got to be just right. Our theology or our study of God or our understanding of Scripture have to be perfect if we're going to be saved. (laughs) Can you let yourself off the hook? Paul didn't have perfect theology. Peter didn't have perfect theology. And you and I will not have perfect theology. I want you to know something. The Pentecostal church doesn't have perfect theology. The Catholic church... Uh, There are saints within the Catholic Church, and they don't have perfect theology. The Baptists don't have perfect theology. We just have a perfect Savior, right? And his name is Jesus. And we put our faith and hope in Jesus only, right? We just have a perfect Savior. No one is saved because they arrive at this thinking pattern that's like, oh, I know it all. As a matter of fact, that's the kind of Christian you run from. Come on, somebody. Oh, yeah, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Don't want to go there. Anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about? Your salvation is not dependent on whether you think correctly about everything. Your salvation is dependent on Jesus Christ who loved you so much that while you knew nothing, he still revealed himself to you while you were blind because he loves you. I mean, think of the disciples. They walked with Jesus, and often they had the wrong thought about things. And Jesus had to correct them like over and over and over and over and over again. Like some saints, like some saints. You know, some saints need to be corrected over and over. Not you, not I, some people in Alaska somewhere I hear. Right? I mean, it's just the reality of the kingdom. It's the love of God. He doesn't give up on us. He's faithful, right? He's faithful. Our salvation does not depend on right thinking. Our salvation is dependent on Jesus Christ. So how do we know that we know that we're saved? I I want you to walk out of here today knowing that if you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, eternity is something that you need to be excited about. If you go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and on down, it reads this way. Now uh, Peter had just finished preaching a powerful message And people were cut to the heart because of the message that was preached. And this is what they said. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that's some salvation. That's pretty awesome. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, all of who believed were were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those 
who are being saved. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray for an anointing to receive it, to hear it, to see it. Oh, God, change our hearts, change our lives, and let us walk and live with a joy about eternity and our salvation in Jesus' name. God, I pray for an anointing to declare your word with power, with power. God, we welcome you in this place to change things for your glory. In the mighty, strong Son of God, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. How do we know that we're saved? Here in this context of Scripture, you find the very first people who could say, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here is the very first altar call that we see actually take place within the new covenant. And what we see are that the Gospels are recording that 3,000 people immediately were saved. The Bible said they were saved. They were saved. Amen? So if they were saved, what do we see as a witness of the reality that they were saved? Number one, one who is saved is one who takes ownership of the cross. A person who is saved is a person who takes ownership of the cross. I want you to notice what the people said when they heard the message. They said they were cut to the heart. And they said, Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? They heard the message. And the moment they heard the message, it, it was clear to them. Some would say, what was clear to them? This was clear to them. Jesus is the Son of God. This was clear to them. Jesus was not worthy to die on the cross. This was clear to them. Jesus died on the cross for sins that he did not commit. This was clear to them. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of this world, for our sins. This was clear to them. Jesus died for my sins. Those who are saved are those who take ownership of the cross. Not just the salvation that has taken place, not just the crucifixion that took place for all of us, a crucifixion that took place for me. It was my anger that put Jesus on the cross. It was my hatred that put Jesus on the cross. It was my addiction that put Jesus on the cross. It was my viewing of pornography that put Jesus on the cross. It was the sin sickness in my life that put Jesus on the cross. And he loved me so much that he died on the cross to redeem me from the death that I was walking in. How blessed is that old rugged cross. Jesus died for my sins, not his, my sins. He was blameless. I was guilty. And he said, I'll take your place, not only so that I can be forgiven, but so that I can be reconciled. And you see, that's the full work of the cross. What's the full work of the cross? Not only that Jesus died for my sins, but that Jesus died for my restoration. So that I can not only be forgiven and saved, but so that I can be adopted by God the Father. And how real is that adoption? It's not only a legal adoption. It's an adoption that gives me the permission, gives me the right to go to the Father and say, Papa. And be blessed by him. You see, if you don't receive the cross fully, you're not receiving everything that Jesus is for you. 
We can cheapen grace by saying that grace was cheap. cheap. Grace was not cheap. It was expensive. It cost God his son. But we can make less of grace by not receiving everything that grace is supposed to do in our lives. And you know what grace is supposed to do in your life? Fill you with the hope and the truth of the reality that you're forgiven, that you're redeemed, and that you're loved, and that you're favored by God. When you wake up in the morning, God, the Father in heaven, looks down for ways to bless you. The Bible says in Ephesians that he wants to declare his glory through you to the principalities that exist in the world. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, the Lord is trying to show up and show off in your life. And that's good news. Those who are saved are those who take ownership of the cross. Those who are saved are those who have a desire to obey God. Number two, one who is saved desires to obey the word of God. And this is a supernatural experience. You know that God's done a work in your life and all of a sudden you want to do things that line up with obeying the word of God. You know that you love God and that you're saved when all of a sudden the sin that you loved is a sin that you hate. Doesn't mean that it doesn't tempt you. Doesn't mean that it's not a struggle, but you hate it and you hate being overcome by it. You know what I'm talking about? You know that you're saved when the Lord is putting in your heart that you need to fast, which means not eating, and you're actually entertaining it. You want me to what? Lord, I, I'm trying to think, Lord, but you keep telling me I need to fast. Nah, I don't like that thought, but, right? You know that you're saved because there's desires for holiness there that you didn't have before. Who do you think put those desires there? It is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Those who are saved are those who have a desire to obey. They cried out, what must we do? And Peter said to them this, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says this. Uh, he says to them, save yourselves from this corrupt and perverse generation. So someone said, wait a minute. Do we save ourselves or does Jesus save us? Let's clarify that. Jesus saves us. But because he made a way, we respond to that salvation. And we say, God, I don't want to live in sin anymore. You set me free from sin, so now I'm going to walk like one that's been set free from sin. Teach me to obey. Teach me to practice holiness. And we begin to engage in the grind of being who God called us to be instead of what the world has conformed us to be. Right? Because we're not going to be conformed. We're going to be transformed, and that's a process. Those who are saved are those who take ownership of the cross. Those who are saved are those who have a desire to obey God. Listen to me. It doesn't mean that you don't fall short. It just means you keep getting back up, and you say to yourself, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. And you can. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. You can do this. And number three, those who are saved, those who are saved are those who engage in nurturing their spiritual growth. Those who are saved are those who engage in nurturing. One who is saved nurtures their spiritual growth. If you read on those same verses, we're not even going to dive into other verses, just those same verses. They took ownership of the cross they took ownership of their sin. They turned to Jesus, repented of their sins, obeyed in baptism, and immediately they got engaged in how to grow spiritually. They were in fellowship. They were together. They were hearing the word of God. They were praying together. They were being a blessing to each other. 
And as they were living that way, the power of God was being manifest in their lives. Those who are saved are those who nurture their spiritual, their spiritual growth. Would you stand with me today? I want you to know a point that I don't have on my PowerPoint, and I don't have, and I have, I chose not to have it in there for a reason. Those who are saved are not those who arrived. We're not talking about, not here on this side of eternity, by the way. Salvation is not about arriving at this place where we're perfect. Is there anybody in the house who's not perfect? Glory to God, anybody. Glory to God. There's a couple honest people in this place, right? Salvation has nothing to do with perfection. Salvation has everything to do with following Jesus. It's following Jesus. Do you know that you know that you know that today, if this was your last day, do you know that you're saved today? Do you know it? Are you convinced of it? Is the Holy Spirit giving you an assurance in your heart that you belong to him and that you're saved? I believe the Lord wants you to walk out of here knowing that you belong to him, that if you put your faith in Christ, repent of your sins and turn to him, he wants you to walk out of here knowing that you belong to him. There's no reason, church, there's no reason for you to walk out of here afraid of tomorrow, afraid of eternity, because Jesus paid a price for you to have peace and joy. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not intimidated to death or that we don't face a level of fear in the process of that. What it means is that in the presence of fear, we have a living hope that anchors us, that lets us know no matter what happens, one day we're going to see our Savior face to face. Whoo! And on that day, he's going to wipe every tear from my face. And on that day, he's going to give me to eat from the tree of life. And on that day, he's going to give me a name that only he and I know. And on that day, I'm going to fellowship with him without any hindrances. And on that day, I will struggle with sin and addiction no more. And on that day, I will have the fullness of his peace. Praise God, I can't wait for the return of Jesus. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me right now? Thank you, Jesus. I know that I'm saved because I know in whom I believe. I don't believe, it's not that I believe in myself, it's that I believe in Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Word of the Lord. I bless you today. I bless you today, Emmanuel. And I believe in you today. Hallelujah. So we're praying right now. You're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I know that today I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Today, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. Today, I want to make a commitment 
And I want to tell you that salvation is not just about eternity. It's about a relationship with him right now. He wants to be a part of your life right now. He's not going to let you just try to figure out life on your own. He wants to be your guide, your counselor. He wants to lead you. He wants to be with you. If you're here today and for the very first time you're saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. I want to receive this salvation. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I feel like I need to recommit my life to Christ today. I know that it's not just about a prayer or anything like that, but I know that right now, in declaration of faith, the Lord is calling me to recommit my life to his salvation work in my life. That's you. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, today for my brothers and sisters who have raised their hands, I thank you for salvation today. I thank you that you have forgiven our sins, that you've written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And I thank you, Lord God, for the recommitments that take place. I say to the prodigal sons and daughters, welcome back. Your father has missed you. He loves you. And he has no intentions of throwing your sins in your face. He has intentions of throwing your sins away. So, Lord, I thank you for a release of peace and freedom that you would remove condemnation in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We bless you right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Church, I want to call you to do something very interesting. Today, would you come up to the altar? Every one of you, would you all come to the altar right now? If you feel the freedom to do so, I just want to welcome all of you to come here. I want to close with this today. There's an old term in Scripture, or excuse me, in the, in the church, in the history of the church. And it says, it's this, blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. That means awesome security. And that blessed assurance is the assurance of the saints, the security that we have that says that we know, that we know that we belong to God, that he is with us right now, and that if we were to die right now, we're going to be with him for eternity. God wants you to have that. God does not want you to live in fear. God doesn't want you to live afraid. He wants you to know that you're loved and that he's got a plan for your life and that you can trust him with your life and with your eternity. And I want to pray today for each and every one of you that God will give you this blessed assurance, this peace in your heart that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, that you would walk with this assurance, that you belong to him. Because you know what? When you have that assurance, then you're finally going to have this freedom that God gives. Because what happens is when we don't have this assurance, we kind of go to and fro, try to please God with our works. But our works are like filthy rags before him. They're not good enough. What you need is to receive everything that God has for you. Receive this love. Receive this grace. And I tell you, once you receive it, the world will be changed upside down, completely transformed. So as we're gathered up here today, you're saying, Pastor, you know what? I don't want to have any fear about my eternity. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've committed my life to the Lord, but I've dealt with some fear that I think it's crippling. And today I just give it to God. I welcome the Holy Spirit 
to deal with me and to anchor me in the hope that I have in Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, for my brothers and my sisters who stand here today, we pray. Oh, God, we want your anointing to fall in our lives. Holy Ghost, we welcome your salvation work. Blessed assurance of the Holy Spirit fall in this place. Fall in our hearts. Fall in our mind. Break the hopelessness. Break the condemnation. Right now, as we raise our hands, we say, our hope is in you. Our hope is in Jesus. So I thank you, God, for freedom. I thank you for a new walk. <laughs> I thank you for a new liberty, God, in you. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. And Lord, I declare over your church that the work that you begin in them is the work that you will finish that no weapon formed against them will prosper. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, that you'll rise up a standard against the enemy. And I thank you that they are more than conquerors in you. So we bless you today, and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And you bless God this morning. Amen. Let me just bless you today as we close. Go in the name of Jesus. Go in the power of Jesus. Go in the presence of Jesus and know that you belong to him. In Jesus' name. And God bless you today. Amen. Thank you, Lord.